I don't know. Oh, you know what? Actually, we could do as an opener. Let me see if I can find it really quick uh, because I can show you what inspired today's episode. Excellent. And it will probably inform a lot. This Christian movement believed that the Christian God was evil. I am, of course, speaking about Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism refers to a range of different ideas that emerged around the first few centuries of Christianity. Much of what we knew about Gnosticism was actually lost. Our knowledge of it mostly came from those that criticized it. Well, at least until 1945, as that is when Gnostic texts were discovered in Egypt. Now, the creation story in these texts is what's interesting. Now, I'm basically going to be presenting a very brief summary of a summary uh, by the scholar known as David Brackey. So, Gnostics believed that reality was originally just a single supreme god, so complex that our human minds wouldn't be able to comprehend it. But over time, this god started to produce other deities known as eons. It produced quite a few, and they were basically in pairs, having a male and female counterpart. Now, they all existed within this great spiritual realm. But here's where things got a little messy. One of these eons was referred to as Wisdom, or Sophia. And she decided to reproduce without a male counterpart. So she reproduced asexually. And while it worked, her offspring was this deformed, twisted creature uh, known as the Demiurge. It was deformed, twisted, and evil, right? So what did the other eons do? They cast it out. It's put in isolation away from the spiritual realm. In its isolation, it decided to create its own realm, right? So it started to create its own eons and later our reality. But it convinced its creations that it was the supreme god. There was nothing beyond him, forcing its creations to worship it. But because it's so imperfect, its creations are imperfect, which is why our world is full of suffering and pain, according to the Gnostics. And according to the Gnostics, the Demiurge is the god of the Old Testament. So the goal of the Gnostics, at least those that believed in this creation myth, was to uh, realize the reality of our existence. Of course, Christians didn't really like this whole conspiracy theory about them, uh, so that's why Gnostic texts are so rare. They were burnt, destroyed throughout history. Now, this is a very brief summary. There's a lot more to it, but perhaps I'll make more videos about it soon. So I saw this video and I was like, I think we have to do this. Because <laughs> yes. we've talked about the Gnostics before, yes. but we didn't really go into it. We were just no. like, oh, they're a group of people. I think maybe when we were doing the Dead Sea Scrolls or the weird Christian guy, we went off on a tangent on the Dead Sea Scrolls, but I was like, we, we should really talk about the Gnostics because they seem like pretty chill people. Yeah. So that's what I did my history or my, my history report. Yeah, that's what I did my history report on. <laughs> Welcome to Sex with Ghosts. I'm Bridget here with my most favorite anti-Christian, Christian rebellion, rebel, 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 that's the word, Molly. Hey. And today, as you should have gathered from the intro, at the very beginning, we're talking about Gnosticism. Molly, before that video, did you have any prior knowledge of Gnosticism? I know we've talked about it on the pod. Yeah, it's pretty limited. I definitely didn't know any of that. So that was all new to me. Yeah, I think in context, all I really knew about Gnostics were like Christians weren't cool with them. Yeah, like I knew it was vaguely like related, but it, that's about it. So I'm going to tell you today kind of who these people were, 
what happened to them and uh, what they believed. And I think we could probably do more episodes. This is very much a very basic 101 intro to Gnosticism episode. Yeah, I think that's good because if we're if we find one particular part interesting, we could always do a deep dive later. But at this point, I just need to I need to know the basics. Yeah. Researching for this. You, do you ever do that thing when you start your research and you ask Google for like the definition of whatever we're talking about and you look at the the line item? What how does Google tell me what this is in one sentence? Yeah. So I did that with Nazism. And this is what I got. A characteristic Gnostic belief is that the material world is imperfect and thus inferior to the spiritual realm. The material world was created not by the true good God, but by a lesser being. And that's kind of what was said in that TikTok that we listened to. Yeah. But uh, beyond that, I think there's way more philosophy and creativity about it that, as we'll see, it's kind of like how Christianity just like stifled that from the beginning and, and partially out of survival reasons, as we're going to do. Because people who called themselves Gnostics would have also called themselves Christians. Right. That's kind of was my feeling on that. So it would be in direct competition with the church. But the time of Gnosticism thriving, which I would air quote that because it would have been the same time that Christians were being persecuted. So anyone who's a Christian is really in danger. Including the Gnostics. Including the Gnostics. Everybody is in danger. So like, while yes, we know that the Christian church loves to tell people that they're wrong no matter what they believe in even when they also say they're christian this like goes from the very beginning and we'll see why in today's episode so gnosticism is a term that's etymologically connected with the word to know it has the same root in english k-n-o is related to g-n-o the Greek word for gnosis. And the Gnostics were people who claimed to know something special. So that's the actual origin of the word. Um, the knowledge could be a knowledge of a person, the kind of personal acquaintance that a mystic would have with the divine, or it could be propositional knowledge of certain key truths, which I'll go into more depth as we go along. Gnostics claim both of these kinds of knowledge claimed to have some sort of special knowledge was not confined by any particular group in the second century. So that's where we're talking. This is all second century happenings, very wow. early Christianity. Okay. So many of these Gnostic Christians were not really appreciated by the leaders of the church. Big surprise. And partially that is because they believe that the spiritual awakening was demonstrated in one's capacity to speak in either revelation or dream visions. So these Gnostic Christians would speak in poems and songs and stories, and it would be like very sort of a creative retelling, storytelling, one of like a religious imagination. Now, these early church leaders found this to be like a hard thing to sort of decipher because it's subjective stuff. So it's as a leader of an organization that's barely thriving, it's like the people who are doing the creative speaking and retelling of these stories, it's like you're not helping the cause. Mm, but, but is that true? Or, or is that just what they think? You know what I mean? This is this is what the scholars say. Okay. Because it almost feels like one of those situations where maybe nowadays we'd say all news is, or what was the phrase? All 
all reporting is good reporting all talk all, of all publicity is yes. good publicity right yes i only think it's true as we get more into what's at stake because well, i think my initial response to this was like oh of course the early church would be like authoritarian and they wouldn't like other people making stuff up but when we get to the history of what's going on at the time it's kind of like oh i kind of get it okay I, I think i would be a dick too uh but we'll get there uh, the term narcissism has been used as sort of an umbrella term to cover up um people that the leaders of the church don't like so we also have seen um the word narcissism and i think a lot of evangelical churches use the word to Gnosticism in a sense to say like, you know, these people think they know, but they don't know because they've like read a Bible and they want to rub that in everyone's faces. So I think it's been hard for people to sort of decipher like what is Gnosticism? Where does it come from? And like in that TikTok, a lot of it came from that 1945 discovery, which we'll talk about a little bit later too. Christians today they all share like a common list of New Testament writings and they share the same kind of church and core beliefs. So that's a huge difference too, between now and then is like, we think now Christianity seems pretty diverse. You have Catholics, you have Protestants, you have evangelicals, you have Mormons, you have Jehovah witnesses, you have, uh, you know, Advent, you have Baptists, you name it. There's a lot. But the huge thing is like all of today's groups, they like share one book for the most part. Mormons are, yeah, a little weird. <laughs> yes. They're all starting with the basis of the same things or the same rituals. But we're talking in a time when that hasn't yet been decided. And mm, so yeah. people who are deciding that they're Christian they're all experiencing it in real time. Like, oh, this, this guy came, he told us some stuff. <laughs> yeah. This is what I think he meant. And some other guys like, well, this is what I think he meant. And you just have these groups of like weird sex of people trying to figure out what, what is going on <laughs> theologically. Yeah. That would be very confusing. I can imagine. Gnostic is more like a sense that the divine is discovered by some kind of interior search and not by an external savior. So it's like Jesus is important to the cause, but just because you believe in Jesus does not mean you're enlightened because you're going to have to sort of see it within yourself. Like you have to have your own voice or your own insight to find this sort of enlightenment. That seems pretty cool. Yeah. And that's why I think, I mean, after researching this, I was like, we need to bring Gnosticism back. And so they did have their own books that they circulated, like the Gospel of Thomas, which I'll get into more in a little bit. They had the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. They had, they had, this is like before the church said, we're only going to pay attention to these four dudes. Right. And they also, a lot of them thought that there were like secret teachings. This is also alluded into the Christian Bible or the, I guess the Bible we use now. For example, in the fourth chapter of Gospel of Mark, Mark says that Jesus taught certain things privately to the disciples. And Paul too says that he had secret teaching. And these claim to give some of the secret teaching of Jesus. And we don't actually know what kind of like secret teachings Jesus would have done. Right. Because that doesn't really mesh with my understanding of Christianity. Well, and I'm sure now it's like, we don't need to dive into that part of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Like if someone asks in Sunday school, I'd be like, oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> Only the disciples could know moving yeah. on. You know what I mean? Like it's one yeah. of those non-answer answers. Uh, but the Gnostics, they go into that more in the Gospel of Thomas. Oh, interesting. 
the Gospel of Thomas does not tell the story of the life and death of Jesus, but instead it offers the reader his secret teachings about the kingdom of God. So just to be clear, Thomas is one of the 12 disciples? Yeah, I'm going to get into that because the book opens with the lines, these are the secret words which the living Jesus spoke and the twin Didymos Judas Thomas wrote them down. It's all kinds of questions now sort of form because Thomas is the word for twin. So it's like, oh, did Jesus have a twin brother? Interesting. Thomas in Hebrew is twin. Didymos is Greek for twin. So there's implication here that the gospel of Thomas is by Jesus's twin. Whoa. The character also appears in the gospel of John, where he is one of the disciples. Okay. He is one who knows the secret teaching, which Jesus hasn't given to all other people. So some of these sayings within this gospel are familiar. Uh, We know them from Matthew and Luke. Jesus says, I have come to cast fire on the earth or behold, behold, a sower went out to sow. So these sort of like parable, like phrases where you're like, what the fuck is the Bible talking about? Throughout the Bible in the New Testament, it's also in these Gnostics teachings. And there's like weird ones like, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. It's a lot of this like indirect language. Yeah, yeah. The Gospel of Thomas also suggests that Jesus is aware of and criticizing the views of the kingdom of God as a time or place that appear in other gospels. Here, Jesus says, if those who lead you to say, look, the kingdom is in the sky, then the birds will get there first. And if they say it's in the ocean, then the fish will get there first. The kingdom of God is within you and outside of you. Once you come to know yourselves, you will become known and you will know what it is, you who are the children of the living father. So I'm like... Where do I sign up for this religion? Yeah, yeah. It it does seem really interesting. However, I am very curious to know how Thomas or whoever wrote the Gospel of Thomas justifies like telling these secrets. Like why were they secrets and his secret like have a different meaning or Oh, that's a great question. The Jesus of the Gospel of Thomas does appear rather different from the Jesus we encounter in the other Gospels. Because the Gospel of Mark, for example, depicts Jesus as utterly unique being. This is good news of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. The Gospel of John says that Jesus isn't even a human being at all, but he's a divine presence who comes down to heaven in human shape. The Gospel of John says, God sent his son into the world to save the world. If you believe in him, you're saved. If you don't believe in him, you're already damned because you haven't believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. But in the gospel of Thomas, this Jesus comes to reveal that you and he are twins. And you discover as you read the gospel of Thomas, which you are meant to discover, is that you and Jesus are at a deep level of identical twins and that you discover that you are the child of child of God, just as he is. So at the end of the gospel, Jesus speaks to Thomas and says, whoever drinks from my mouth will become as I am. And I will become that person and the mysteries will be revealed to him here. Jesus does not take the role of authority and teacher. In the Gospel of Thomas, the disciples say to Jesus, tell us what you want us to do. How shall we pray? How sh- what shall we eat? How shall we fast? If you look at Matthew and Luke, Jesus answers the questions. He says, 
when you pray, say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be. And when you fast, wash your face so you don't make show of it. When you give alms, do it privately and without being showy. In the Thomas gospel, Jesus does not answer. He says, do not tell lies and do not do what you hate for everything is known before heaven. Here, Jesus, in effect, turns one towards oneself. And really, one of the themes of the Gospel of Thomas, that you must go in sort of a spiritual quest of your own to discover who you are and discover really that you are the child of God, just like Jesus. Which also, now that I'm saying this all out loud to you, like reading it, I was like, oh, this sounds really rad. But now I'm also like reading it and thinking like, What's the difference between this and like Jim Jones? Hmm. Well, I don't know. My, I, that's not the direction my mind went. My mind just goes to the idea that technically any one of the disciples could have cultivated their own religion like Gnosticism. Like it just feels like it's all based on your, their own perception and Jesus the real person was like, you know, some people were looking for a specific thing and other people were looking for other things and they took what they learned and they wrote their books. But like, I mean, I just, I guess I can see all of these things being true at the same time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it also reminds me of like the American constitution. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is all second century. So that means like Jesus uh, roughly died 200 years. And so this is like 200 years later of people writing and passing down text. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's a lot of like the same as us as Americans trying to interpret our own constitution. (sighs) Yeah. Like so many people have so many different takes on it. And claimed, like, because it was 200 years ago and the history we have of, like, the founding fathers is, like, depending on who you talk to, this founding father was, like, the greatest man to ever live or he was a shitty slave owner who, like, fucked 12-year-olds. Very, yeah, very similar kind of situation. So which Jesus are you? (laughs) More background on the text of Nag Hamdi. The discovery of Nag Hammadi began with an Arab villager whose name was Muhammad Ali going through or going with his brothers on an ordinary errand. They saddled up their camels and they rode out from their village to a small town in a barren stretches of Upper Egypt. They took their camels and rode up a cliff nearby, which is honeycombed with thousands of caves. Caves. Already, I'm like, this is so Dead Sea Scroll. Yeah, it totally is. It is, and it's even more like comical. But um, <laughs> these caves, they were mostly used as burial caves in antiquity from thousands of years ago. But uh, the guys, they were digging under the cliffs for fertilizers. That is for like bird droppings that they used to fertilize crops. And Muhammad, said he struck something when he was digging underground and curious, he just kept digging. And then he started to find a six foot jar sealed and next to it was buried a corpse, which is so the Goonies. (laughs) That's what I'm picturing. Muhammad said he hesitated to break the jar because he thought there might be a gin in it. We still have to do a gin episode. But hope overcame fear. And he said he picked up his mattock and mashed the jar, saw particles of gold fly out of it, much to his delight. But a moment later, he realized it was only fragments of papyrus. Inside the jar were 13 volumes bound in tooled gazelle leather. 13 volumes of papyrus texts. Now, Muhammad Ali could not read these texts. He couldn't read Arabic which was his own language. And these texts were in some strange archaic language. They were actually Coptic, which is an Egyptian language of 14,000 
1400 years ago. Uh, but he nevertheless put it in his backpack, slung them along, and took them home and threw them on the ground in his house near the stove. Oh, God. Like classic <laughs> weird teenager shit. No. And then later, his mom, she started taking out what was in his bag and started to use it for the fire. No. Because she was baking bread. And it wasn't until much later that they realized that these are some of the most precious texts of the 20th century to be found. Because this totally changes a lot of what people thought about early Christian Christianity, early Christians. Because there were 52 texts altogether. Unless they burned more that oh, we don't God. know about. <laughs> oh, no. And they contain secret gospels such as Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Uh, they also contain conversations between Jesus and his disciples and all kinds of literature from early Christian era and a whole discovery of texts like the New Testament, but also very different. So that's where we get most of what we know about Gnosticism. Just from this one discovery. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It is. This, wow, this is kind of mind-blowing. Like, I think this is more interesting. Like, I know this comes up a lot here, Sex with Ghosts. The, oh, we should know history and the importance of knowing history. But to me, this is like early human thinking. Yeah, yeah. And it's so radical than like the one we've been like brainwashed, especially like in the last probably like 40 and 50 years of what America is and Christianity is. It's like early Christians, they were kind of cool. Sure. Yeah. So you might be wondering what happened to the Gnostics. By the end of the second century, you begin to see hierarchies of bishops, priests, deacons emerge in various communities and claim to speak for the majority. With that development, there's probably an assertion of leadership against viewpoints that those leaders considered dangerous and part of heresy. One of the issues that polarized these communities, perhaps the most urgent and pressing issue, was persecution. That is, these people, all Christians, belonged to an illegal movement at the time. Yeah. And so it's very dangerous to be a Christian, whether if you're a Gnostic or not. And so you could be arrested. You'd be charged with being a Christian. You'd be put on trial. You'd be tortured and executed if you refuse to recant. I think that's where you start getting this like urgency of what do we believe as Christians? Yeah. And one of the key players in that is Bishop of Uranus. Uranus? Uranus. I don't know how to say this guy's name, but it looks like Uranus spelled with an I. Okay. Or maybe it's Uranus. Uran. <laughs> Uranus. Yeah, I don't know how to. Anyways. So this bishop, he was about 18 or 20 years old when his little community was absolutely decimated by a devastating persecution. They say about 50 to 70 people in two small towns were tortured and executed. That must have meant that hundreds were rounded up and put into prison. But 50 to 70 people in the small towns executed in public, which is pretty devastating if you think about it. Yeah, what's the... What's the benefit of doing that as a persecutor? I think at this time, there was no separation of like church and state. Yeah. So it's just every is control and. Yeah. And gods were used as a reason why the person is charged as the person in charge. All right. So you believing in something else is undermining my authority. Yeah. And the, the authority of God which is even worse than my authority because God is, you know, the most important authority. And this bishop was trying to unify everyone who was left. And it was really hard because not everyone 
believed the same thing. And so it was really hard to get anyone under any kind of leadership. And he, like many others who are similar to his position, are deeply aware of the dangers of fragmentation. If they don't get their shit together, they're just another cult in the wind. So he and others try to unify the church and they create a criteria such as for gospels and what rituals belong and being baptized and making people members of the community. I know we talk a lot about how Westernism or Christianity basically like fucked over a lot of marginalized people and communities. And I think they still have like the newer stuff, like what happened definitely after the second century was not great. But I think during the second century, all of this, like weeding out the Gnostics was more of a survival of the larger collective. Sure. But also, I'm not sure if this is just a product of my life as a person in 2023, but I wouldn't go to my death because of my belief. Oh, no. This is terrible, but I think about this kind of a lot. Just like as I'm trying to evolve as a person, you know, when you're younger and someone does something to upset you and you're like, oh, I have to say something. I have to take a stand. I have to do something. And now as like an older adult, it's like, is someone going to die from this? No? Go along with it. <laughs> yeah. Like the criteria of going along with stuff is much different than the impassioned feelings you have in your early 20s. Sure. If, if I'm a Christian and a Gnostic-leaning Christian and some guys come and they're like, you know what, we're kicking out all the Gnostics, I'm probably going to be like, oh, well, I'm not a Gnostic. I, I'm cool. Yeah. But in my head, I'd be like, no, I'm totally a Gnostic. I'm not going to, like, go and starve. And, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be by myself trying to find other losers like me. Are you kidding me? I don't even like, I barely like myself. It seems like a lot of effort for not very much payoff. Yeah, the kingdoms of heaven. Like, it seems like you can, feels like that could be a solitary thing. Like, I want my donuts after mass and my weird beliefs about spirituality. Can I have both? Well, we could. Well, I'm sure we still can now. Yeah. But now, now I'm definitely over it. <laughs> I'm not returning to the Catholic Church. You can't make me. So the bishop, Uranus, that's what I'm going to call him. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that wrong. Somebody who's familiar with the story, if you're upset by my pronunciation, write an op-ed about it. <laughs> He's trying to unify the church with others, and they're creating criteria. I think I already mentioned this. We're creating the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're creating rituals. And he became bishop after the 92-year-old bishop died in prison. Dang. So it was like he's picking up the baton, which 92 back then, you might as well be like a thousand years old, right? Yeah. He, he almost knew Jesus, almost. He probably was Jesus. That's what they're missing from the story. But it I is hope that's not crazy. the case because that would mean yeah. the Gnostics really did lose. Well, it is kind of crazy, though, that uh, an 18 year old is a bishop. Yeah, but 18 back then would be I like know, I know. 50. It's true, but still, just thinking, like, yes, this 18 year old is the savior we need. Ooh. Yeah, I get really uncomfortable around a lot of self righteous teenagers. Like, yeah. I like what, uh, what's her name? Greta Thunberg is doing, but I'm also like, she can't be the person you go to for answers. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. Like, it's great she's out in the streets making people feel bad, but I don't think she has the education to give us the real plan of saving Earth. I don't think so either. Call us controversial. Yeah. Sex with ghosts. So you can see that 
this isn't like a Christian church of power that we now know. This is a position of, oh, shit, our people are dying. And now we got to figure this shit out. So not as many people die. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're limiting the things that they consider a religious text and putting that sort of urgency there because they're literally being murdered. So by the end of the second century, there was a considerable debate among Christian teachers, theologians about how to best articulate Christian belief. Gnostics are charged by their critics with making a fundamental mistake about the relationship between God as a creator and God as a redeemer. The Gnostics seem to suggest, at least some of them, seem to suggest that the divine power that created this world is an inferior being, inferior to the true spiritual God who desires salvation of all human beings, or at least all of those human beings who are capable of knowledge, which is pretty wild. It's like this weird God war going on. We're all sort of like maladaptive beings because we were created by a maladaptive being, but there is a true real being right, that like yeah. really wants everybody to have a good time. But if you think about it, we don't even know that God. I'm, I'm almost now like, do I even give a shit about that God though? Well, uh, yeah. You could kind of say that about any, like the Christians and the Bible acknowledge that humanity is flawed. So like they're almost there. I don't know. It just doesn't, it doesn't seem too different. And I feel like the argument hasn't necessarily been resolved. Yes, 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 yes. The distinction between the belief in creation and belief in redemption was viewed by theologians as Uranus to, as being fundamental mistake, which departed radically from the testimony of scripture. So people like Uranus start pushing this sort of narrative that like all of this has to be done through Jesus. and. I think early Christian thoughts for the Gnostics was it so much like this is found through Jesus, but Jesus is an example of how we get there. Right. Do you think any of that, like, this is just a conjecture, like, it could be the Christians, early Christians were try just trying to simplify things? Like the Uranus guy? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think if everyone you know is like potentially going to die because you have these really radical beliefs. I mean, I I was thinking about it a lot with like our political systems. I mean, I know I brought up the Constitution early, but earlier, but like while reading this stuff, I was thinking about like how communism and socialism become corrupt and how, how populist ideas are built. It's like clearly there's a need and a want for a structure to be fixed. So you have all the people listening. They're all ready. They all want to make a difference. And then the idea that comes through is usually one oversimplified and easy to exploit by somebody who's part of the hierarchy end. Sure. Yeah. It's it's an interesting thought for sure. What what do we say about now in the back of my mind is still like the chart with the eons because a big part of Christianity and Judaism and Islam is the idea of one God. So are we thinking that that was, cause it's not too much of a stretch for me to be like the Gnostics believe that, you know, this one part of God created humans. And then there's like the, also the divine God, whatever. Sure. I mean, is that kind of what the early Christians were trying to avoid like dividing God even further? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think that I don't know this. I'm not a scholar, but what I understand of the evolution of religions is that like in the beginning, everyone is basically polytheistic. It was like, mm -hmm. Oh, there's a God for this a God for that. And God's 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 so many gods. We love all the gods. 
And then people started devoting themselves to like one God and then created a story and a myth and why this God is more important than other God. And then I think that's just kind of like human nature mixed with authoritarianism. Hmm. Where it's like, eventually you narrow it down to one and everyone has to believe in this one. Otherwise we kill you. Yeah. Yeah. But I was, well, that like that was one part of liberal Christianity in the United States that I enjoyed was this idea that I could reconcile a belief in polytheism because to me it was like, well, yeah, because all they're all part of the divine. Wait, are you saying you got into like some sort of liberal Christianity where they were like, it's okay to be cool about polytheism? Um, I think that I, the church that I belong to was okay with me voicing that. Was it Unitarian? What, what no, this no. Church? I mean, it was just my uh, United Methodist Church. But like we had a gay pastor way before India. Being gay was legal. Yes. Yeah, like, <laughs> Which is fucked up when you say that, but. It was never like a, it was never a place where any thought was censored. So, I mean, and, and so perhaps that's like a extremely modern take and we can't even like begin to apply that to early Christian thought, but it just, it, well, I think it's only modern and because of how Christianity really got fucked up for the last uh, couple thousand years. And it's interesting because like similarly like i grew up catholic as we've talked about so many times and like i would bring up these like weird catholic stuff or i bring up like weird religion stuff to catholic sunday school and the people who are teaching my sunday school classes were never like dicks it was never like oh you're wrong or that's crazy it would be like these sort of open-ended discussions where it'd be like, yeah, that's, you know, like no one has the answer. Right. Yeah. That was how my experience was for sure. And a lot of it was more internalized, which is why maybe that's another draw to Gnosticism for me, but it was a lot of it was like, what is your relationship to what's going on? And I think that's like a very clever adult way to deflect. Yeah. But from also, like giving the answers you don't want to give. But it's also like, isn't that the truth of humanity is like, you only know what's going on with you, Molly. Like, yeah. you know, every impulse, thought, feeling, everything going on within you. And respectively, I only know everything going on with me. So like, I could come to you asking for advice or like perspective. But at the end of the day, I'm going to have to figure out what is the thing that works for me to like wake up tomorrow and feel awesome? And I think that for both of us, we would have felt like really turned off and turned away from a church that would have given some sort of false definitive answer. And that's why I stuck with it for so long. Because if I had grown up in like, you know, Southern Baptist where they're like, no, this is it. I, I would have been long gone, you know? Yeah, I would have either became a full-on fascist <laughs> or a bigger delinquent than I was. So by making the distinction between the physical humanity of Jesus and orthodox teachers such as Uranus, by the end of the second century, wanted to insist very strongly on the humanity of Jesus as an example to his followers. So it was very important to insist that Jesus was really suffering and dying on the cross because Christians were being called at that time to suffer and die as witnesses, as martyrs to their faith. So we also have that parallel going on yeah. in the time of trying to get people to stay attached to the movement, which is kind of wild. But I think, I kind of think women not all women. Hashtag not all women. But I do think there's some women groups that do that now. Like you sure. should be a feminist. Because, because other women suffered. And were literally burned at the stake. But it's also like them that might be conflated. But it's a very good move. They've been using it 
as we now know, for centuries. Yeah. But but also, like, there's part of me that really still appreciates those kind of things because then you look, like, look at young gay people who don't understand what people went through in the 70s and 80s. And you want to be like, be grateful. Yeah, I have mixed feelings where it's like, I'm glad they don't know. Yes, yes, yes. There's certainly that. We're progressing faster and better than ever. But then it is, I think, a lot for other marginalized communities to like see how quickly things were accepted and moved on. But like, I don't know. We got to stop. We got to stop comparing everybody's yes. suffering. suffering. Yes. And just True. alleviate everyone's suffering. Yes. That is it. That's extremely important. Like on a whole, put all your weird things aside. Just the existence of being a human is suffering. Yeah. I feel like that's the fact between all of these religions. Well, that's why well, you exist. You are yeah. suffering. That's Buddhist though, right? It's Buddhist, but if you think about it, it's Christianity too. Cause it's yeah, like, yeah, you're suffering until yeah. you find Jesus. Right. Yep. True. Like, let us all just get through the most, the best thing you could do for the evolution of our species is let us deal with the most plainest sufferings. Yeah. Ugh. To innocent children. Everyone can agree on that. Everyone can agree on that. Go molest a tree. Who cares yes. about a tree? I mean, some people do, but, but yes. we'll deal with that when the trees start, you know, actually communicating with us. But uh, sometimes I do really, I do. I'm extremely concerned about people who are mean to robots. I do not think we should be mean to robots. I don't think we should be mean to robots, but I also have like a lot of other more questions and answers. Sure. We're kind of at the end here. Uh, that was, that was oh. uh, should I, that was a fantastic episode. I'm so glad we covered it because I had, now I feel so much more informed. And About the, Nas, the Nazis? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's definitely more to get into. Oh, sure. So it makes sense that like Christianity is messy. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. We don't know a lot about the Gnostics because a lot of effort went into destroying any sort of existence that they might have had. But it, I don't know. I don't know. My, I don't know. What's, what, okay, what first? I'm like trying to say too much at once. What is your takeaway? One takeaway, and I, this is a bad takeaway, but I'm just going to say it anyway. We should just like dig up the entire desert and find all of the pots and then like get more information i think this is a great <laughs> great one this is actually really good it's only bad because i don't think we could find the funding to do this no no i don't think we could but either. i think that is the first and most important takeaway yes because i have to imagine that there are like copies of these same things and then we could like look at the copies and see if there were any changes or if there was something we missed. And also we should probably be more accurate when we use the word Gnostic. Yeah. Yeah. Put it where it really belongs. Mm -hmm. I think you're right on most accounts. My biggest takeaway though is like too, how I think there's like uh, maybe a new, new interest new re revitalization of people are interested in what happens in the humanity experience. We live, we die, then what? Where do we come from? Like these are things that are never going to have real answers. And what I like is that the stuff reading about what the Gnostics said, and maybe <laughs> Maybe it's because the interpretation is by like highly educated liberal arts nerds or something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But these interpretations like kind of give me hope. Yeah. Like, yeah. The whole secret is figuring out you, figure out you. That's like the most American thing of all time that we like ignore because we yes. get obsessed with yes. other things. Right. But idealize. Yes. That's the whole thing. 
How do you feel? What are you experiencing? What makes you feel more connected to the things you care about and less connected to the things that you don't need? That's the journey we're all on. Yeah. And it also, just to bring this back a little bit to that TikTok, it is also like obvious, very obvious that anyone who uses Gnostic as a bad word is like kind of doing the like socialist thing where it's like, you can say like, oh, Gnostics are calling the Christian God evil. But like, obviously that's a gross misclassification of what is actually going on. Molly, we can make it cool again. We make can. Gnost make Gnosticism cool again. <laughs> it feels like kind of like a fantasy type name also, which is funny. Oh, definitely. I agree with that. I feel like someone could write a better book and use that Wait, concept. don't say too much. Yes. <laughs> you want to get paid for when someone writes this. Yeah. I could write this book. I've been kind of obsessed with writing recently. So. Oh, Molly's going to write this book. I'm going to write this book. Look for this <laughs> book in 2024. <laughs> so thank you, Bridget, for introducing us all to Nassim and um, opening the door to doing some more episodes later on. Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bridget underscore second. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, Mastodon, and Instagram at MollyMM9. And you can find this podcast at sexwithghost underscore. Or if you do want to email us about something about Gnosticism or correct the name of Bishop Uranus, <laughs> you can email us at sexwithghostpodcast at gmail.com. That better stay in. The way you could support us is by giving us a five-star review on your podcast app or going to patreon.com slash sex with ghosts where we have some new x-files episodes up right now and um are always uploading our monthly bonus live podcast uh from twitch.tv slash sw ghosts anything else i think you did it all right adios Adios, amigos.